listening to Sidewalk Confessionals. My name is Jeremy. And this is Caleb. And today, uh, today is special, at least for me. Probably not for you. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, I finally wrote, after four years of trying, I finally wrote the first chapter of my book. That makes me sound horrible. That makes me sound like I never no, do anything. I think that makes you sound like you've made tremendous progress. Yeah. I have made I have made progress. So I wrote the first chapter of my book, which has yet to have a, uh, a title. Um, but before I start reading this, um, I just want you guys to know that it is a rough draft and it needs to be edited, which is what, uh, well, not edited. I mean, yes, edited, but it needs to be proofread first. So we're just going to do the same thing as we did the last time I read a book chapter on here. I'm going to read it, and Caleb's going to tell me what needs to be changed and what he liked about it, what he disliked, all of that. Um, but yeah, there is... So a little bit before I uh, before I start reading, there's like a secret organization in here, and it doesn't have a name yet. So when I get to the part where it actually uh, is named... It's just going to be like a silence or maybe if I come up with it while I'm editing this podcast, I'll dub it in. But yeah, the organization does not have a name right now. This is Untitled Book, Chapter 1. Jake rolled over in bed, startled gently by the noise of his alarm clock. Riley could never understand why he preferred to use a dedicated independent alarm clock rather than the clock app on his cell phone. It's cause you're from England, Riley would always say in a less than great British accent. The clock rang again. Jake rolled over to wake Riley, whom the sound had not yet affected. He put his hand on the side of Riley's face and kissed him lightly on the nose, lingering for a long moment before pulling away. The clock rang. Mm, why do you always do that? Riley asked in a sleepy whisper, his eyes not yet open. What? Kiss you on the nose. Because you have a very cute nose. Jake answered quietly, rubbing his own nose against Riley's. The alarm clock continued to produce its loud, high-pitched sound, as if demanding its owner get up and silence it immediately. This began to wear on Jake's nerves, causing him to quickly turn away from Riley and slam his hand down on the clock's alarm button. Riley watched patiently, as this was becoming an increasingly common morning ritual. Jake allowed his arm to rest on the nightstand shortly, before turning back to Riley. He inhaled deeply through his nose, with his eyes closed, then released a breath with a sigh his eyes meeting Riley's friendly gaze as they opened. I think it's time for a shower, suggested Riley, placing a hand on Jake's chest and kissing him on the forehead. Jake closed his eyes and exhaled slowly with a slight closed mouth moan. Come on, we should get ready early so we don't have to rush around in order to meet Jacob on time. All right, Jake agreed, once more turning away from Riley to get out of bed. You'd think my being British would lend itself more toward punctuality. I guess that just goes to show that such behaviors are learned rather than inherited. Jake now sat on the edge of the bed, wiping the sleep from his eyes and stretching his arms, which were ever so slightly sore from holding Riley all night. Jake had been orphaned at the age of five and was adopted by Riley's family shortly after his 13th birthday. He stood up, now facing his nightstand and further stretching his arms, twisting from side to side as he did so. He was a thin but well-defined man, about five feet, seven inches tall. His black hair hung down no further than his ears on the sides, and only halfway down his forehead. That is, when it wasn't in its normal messy, disheveled form. He had true green eyes, very rare, as Riley had pointed out when they first met. Riley looked him over as he turned around to face the room, his eyes lingering on the scar on Jake's right side, just below his ribcage. 
The scar was from a stab wound he'd acquired some years ago in a place he couldn't quite remember. Very likely a prison in Paraguay or some other such South American country. You know, you never fully explained to me how you got that scar, Riley said with a smirk, jokingly. You told me you got it in that prison in Bolivia, but I still don't know who gave it to you and why. I didn't? Huh. Jake paused in his gathering of clothes to get ready for the day ahead. I could have sworn I explained it all to you on the plane back across the border. Then again, I was pretty delirious from the lack of food and water and the loss of blood. Jake shuddered. Anyway, I was gambling, as one does in a Bolivian prison, and I want to bet I shouldn't have. Obviously, the logical conclusion was that I was cheating, so the man whose money I'd won arranged for me to be attacked on my way to the showers. Coincidentally, that man was the reason I was in the prison gathering intel in the first place, but anyway, he paid off the guards and hired some, some other inmates to stab me that night, which is how I ended up in the infirmary where you found me the next day. It was rather lucky timing, really. If I'd been stabbed a day earlier, or you'd arrived a day later, I'm not sure I'd be standing here right now. Riley walked to Jake's side of the bed and lightly touched the scar, running his fingers across Jake's side. Riley was smaller than Jake in both height and build, but just slightly. He had messy, dirty blonde hair, brown eyes, and a well-defined jawline. Jake shuddered lightly, grinning and recoiling slowly from Riley's touch. You are way too ticklish, Riley said as he turned to walk to the shower. And you're way too cute, Jake replied sarcastically as he followed Riley. Later that morning, the two men met up with their friend and colleague, Jacob, who was noticeably shorter and younger than Jake and Riley. Jacob was a bit of a child prodigy, graduating from high school at the age of 15 and receiving multiple master's degrees and a doctorate of medicine only six years later. In addition to being a great friend, Jacob was also the men's doctor, equipment specialist, and most recently, Jake's handler. He was leaning against the railing of the mezzanine, which overlooked a large room containing offices and a large reception desk. As they entered, Jake and Riley were flanked on either side by ten decently-sized glass-walled offices and the aforementioned reception desk, at which sat about five employees answering phones and entering information into computer terminals. The room was about 40 feet wide and 50 feet long, the ceiling in the main area reaching 20 feet in height. However, sound didn't echo as one would expect in a room so full of hard surfaces due to several large panels suspended from the ceiling. As Jake looked closer, he noticed that the panels were also responsible for lighting the room, providing a soft, sunlight-like glow. Guys, up here, Jacob shouted down to his awe-stricken friends. As the men ascended the staircase to the right of the room, Jacob walked over to greet them, stopping a few feet shy of the last step so as to give them room to walk onto the mezzanine floor. It's so good to see you guys, Jacob said as he lightly hugged each of his friends. Follow me. There's someone who wants to meet you. Jacob led the men into an office at the back of the mezzanine, which had painted walls rather than glass, and a wooden door with frosted glass on the top half. On the glass were the words, Director Wren, below a symbol of a large raven's head surrounded by an olive branch on the bottom left and a torch on the bottom right, and the words, Solum Pax et Veritas. Solum Pax et Veritas, Jake read aloud as they walked into the office. Only peace and truth. What's that supposed to mean? It means we search only for the truth, for the solitary purpose of bringing peace. We use our resources, skills, and means to provide clear paths through the fog of war. We work in the shadows, remaining unseen and unknown, save for the information we provide. We work without prejudice towards those who do right, and with no remorse for those who do wrong. And, above all else, we do not exist. 
The voice came from a tall, middle-aged woman whose skin was the color of mahogany and whose hair was the color of charcoal. She was thin, and her angular face portrayed seriousness and demanded compliance. Her expression as she spoke, however, was relaxed and oddly inviting. She stood on the far side of her desk as she greeted Jake and Riley. I'm Director Wren, and you must be Jake and Riley. As she said their names, she shook each of the men's hand. Please, sit. She motioned with her hand to two chairs on the opposite side of her desk. I trust Jacob told you nothing of this organization or of its history, nor did he tell you the history of this location. Am I right to trust your friend? She asked, inclining her head slightly. Riley and Jake nodded in affirmation. Good. Forgive me for being so dramatic, but as I mentioned, we do not exist. Or at least, on paper we don't. Several high-ranking officials in various governments know about us, but as to what exactly we do, that's another story. What exactly do you do? Jake asked. We, in short, gather information on people, organizations, governments, you name it. Whatever we can attain. What we do with that information depends upon its nature. For example, if we were to find out Russia was planning an attack on Serbia, we'd alert Serbian officials through anonymous channels. If, however, we learned of a crime ring's plot to steal priceless jewels, we'd silently step in and do our own dirty work. None would be the wiser as to our existence in either case, but different actions would be taken to subdue malicious intents. Why does this place even exist? Why go to all the trouble? Riley asked now, perplexedly. That I cannot answer entirely. This organization, or at least people sympathetic to its purpose, has been around for hundreds of years. To my knowledge, nobody knows why it exists, or what its original mission was. All I can tell you is why I do this. I'm here to oversee and assist this generation in spreading, in spreading sensitive, important information to those whom it affects, for the purposes of the objective good. I also strongly believe that, as a group of people with such means, it is our responsibility to help those in need, and punish those who have, or intend to, do bad. That was more of a what we do than a why we do it, but I hope it answered your question. Both men launched into a barrage of questions. How the director got involved with the organization, how many people worked for her, if there was a hierarchy, among others. Guys. Jake. Riley. Guys! Jake shouted, after which the room fell to almost complete silence. Director Ren, our other members, and I will answer all of your questions over the next few days, but both of you need to answer a question first. Thank you, Jacob, the director nodded, and to the two men across the desk from herself. Jacob is correct. I require only one thing from each of you. I need to know that, if you should choose to work with us, you will keep this place and all of its members absolutely confidential. Think about this carefully before you answer, because once you see what I'm about to show you, not even I will be able to protect you if you were to tell the wrong person. The four sat in silence for a moment, Jake being the first to speak. I can keep a secret. I trust Jacob, and if he trusts you, that means I trust you too. I'm in. What would happen, hypothetically, if I were to leak information about this place? Riley asked, looking from Jacob to the director. I'm not at liberty to answer because I don't know. To my knowledge, nobody has ever betrayed this organization. I imagine you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be around long enough to tell many people about this place after word of your actions spread. But that is only speculation. You must understand that there are always uncertainties in this line of work, and not everything is so black and white. That's reassuring, Riley said as he once again fixed his gaze upon Jacob. What the hell did you get us into, man? He contemplated for a moment longer. I accept. I'll keep this place and all of its members secret. 
but I want you to be transparent with me. No secrets. That's great to hear, replied Director Wren as she stood. And luckily for you, we don't keep secrets with each other. To answer one of your earlier questions, there's no real hierarchy here. We all help each other and share information freely. The only difference between me, you, and anyone else here is how long we've been here. I'm the director because I've been here longer than any of our current members. On that note, since you and your fiance are, are our newest members, you will each have handlers to show you the ropes, as it were. Jake, since you and Jacob work so well together, at least from what he tells me, he will be your handler. Riley, because of your skills in language, culture, and communications, Margot Babineau, one of our most accomplished field agents, will be your handler. Now addressing both Riley and Jake, Margot and Jacob started here the same day and have quickly become some of the most important members on our team. I see the same potential in you two, so I'll say to you what I said to them. Welcome to Unnamed Organization. <laughs> Jacob, Riley, and Jake stood and walked out of the office, back onto the main section of the mezzanine, and approached the railing thereof. As they did, Director Wren followed, walking at a leisurely slow pace, allowing the new members time to visually explore what they could see from the heightened area. She walked to the railing beside Riley and said, Since you're now what we call interns, you can call me Caroline. You'll find the social atmosphere here is pretty relaxed and open. As I mentioned before, we help one another, and we're equals in our goals. Caroline turned to face the room below. Margot, pouvez-vous s'il vous plaît venir à la mezzanine? She said into a communications device that Riley only now noticed was affixed in her left ear. Do you always speak French over comms? Riley asked with a smirk. No, but French is Margot's best language, so I've taught myself a few useful phrases. This is one of the reasons I've paired you with her, because you're the only person here who can speak French fluently. I figured you'd be able to communicate with her more easily than anyone else. Interesting. Did Jacob tell you everything about us? Only enough to make me interested in the possibility of recruiting you. The rest I learned through my own research. Jacob told me you were a polyglot, but I figured out you speak ten languages fluently and you're still perfecting your Cantonese. You wanted to see me? Asked Margot through a thick French accent as she stepped off the last step and walked toward Caroline and the men. She was short, maybe five two, and her long dark hair was pulled back into a tight ponytail, save for a few errant strands which streaked across her forehead. Her fair skin and rounded face gave her the appearance of any innocent, unassuming girl. But the calluses and bruises on her hands and arms told a very different story. Riley recognized the calluses as something he'd only seen on the hands of rock climbers, and the bruises he imagined were from hand-to-hand -hand combat practice. Her eyes were trained to display no strong emotion, and the brilliant blue hue was ever so slightly unnatural. A perfect poker face, Riley thought. Oh, you must be Jake and Riley. Hello, nice to meet you. She shook the men's hands just as the director had. Miss Caroline, is this why you called me up here? Yes, it is. Margot, meet your partner, Riley. You'll be his handler for his training period. Again, in a thick accent, to Riley. Jacob has told me so much about you. I'm very excited to be working with you. I've been working here since three years, and I've been waiting for a partner for much of this time. Jacob tells me you speak ten languages? Oui, Riley replied. English is my best, but I'm pretty fluent in French, Russian, Spanish, Swedish, German, Urdu, Hindi, Japanese, Hawaiian, and ASL. I'm also relatively well-versed in Cantonese. We can speak French if that's more comfortable for you. Riley motioned toward her with his hand. Oh, oui, merci beaucoup. But I try to speak English around people so they know what I'm saying. Margot chuckled lightly. Caroline addressed them now, speaking loudly and more articulately than before. As Jacob and Margot know, it is unusual for our members to have handlers, even during training. 
I've paired you up like this because I think you're among the brightest of your generation and together possess massive potential. For this reason, the four of you will be given more difficult assignments than most interns, and you'll operate as one unit. The mezzanine will be your base of operations. Of course, all the information you gather will be shared with your colleagues, but separating you into your own unit will allow you to work without the distractions of the normal goings-on downstairs. Any questions? The four interns looked at one another, then turned to face the director, and Jacob replied, I think we'll figure it out. Good. Let's get to work then. Jacob, Margo, take Jake and Riley on a tour of the facility. While you're gone, some of the members and I will start to put this space together as your new office. The four nodded and turned to walk back down to the main floor, and one by one descended the staircase. As they arrived in the lobby, Jacob began walking their group around to different rooms. Some rooms, like the gym, kitchen, and wash areas, he regarded with the same low priority, but others he explained in greater detail to either Jake or Riley. When they came to the garage and engineering departments, Riley made it a point to ask every conceivable question, and Jake did similarly in the climbing gym and shooting ranges. Both men were equally impressed by Jacob's meticulously curated gear room. I try to keep stock of everything anyone would ever need on a mission. Some of these things are of my own design, some are custom made by manufacturers, and others are off the shelf. This is where you come if you need clothing, weapons, tech, outdoor gear, you name it. Just sign out everything you take at a terminal. And well-equipped medical base. We have the ability to perform almost any procedure here, given the help of other doctors, Jacob explained. We can do anything from basic first aid to complex surgeries. We also have our own medevac chopper and four trained rescuers, myself included. At the end of the tour, the newly formed team walked back up to the mezzanine to find the space partially transformed into a small mission control. There were four desks arranged in a square at the center of the room with a tower of eight monitors in the center, providing two monitors per desk. In addition, there was a wall made of nine more monitors arranged in a grid, which created a massive area to view information and display any data streams they wanted. Each desk was equipped with a chair, a computer terminal, a drawer which contained normal office supplies, and another which contained a place for comms to charge, a holster with a handgun, and a place to store a gear bag. As they approached, each of the desk's respective monitors illuminated, displaying the name of its intended intern. Margot sat directly across from Riley, and Jacob directly across from Jake. As they got familiar with their new workspaces, Jake commented, I think I could get used to this, and leaned back into his chair with his hands behind his head. The rest of the team laughed, and Jacob and Margot continued to brief Jake and Riley. A few minutes later, Caroline came out of her office and informed her newly formed unit that she had a mission for them. This will be non-violent, so Jake and Riley's lack of combat training will not be a problem. However, it is of the utmost importance you remain anonymous as you gather this intel. I've uploaded the details to your phones, and there's a pilot waiting to fly you to your destination. Good luck, interns. She left them and went back to her office. The four pulled out their phones and grabbed their gear bags from the drawers in their desks, and Margot exclaimed as she read her mission briefing, Oh, magnifique! We're going to France! That was an exciting chapter. This is chapter one of the story. This is the first chapter. <laughs> you start out in a big way. Yeah, I know. We, I mean, our characters are almost immediately thrust into this Secret organization. thrilling situation. Very exciting. Um, I just, my only concern with writing this first chapter this way is that I have to keep that energy up. Yes. I, at least into the beginning of the second chapter, I think I have to kind of keep that energy up, but it's not always going to be that super energetic, so I have to learn how to lightly let the readers down. 
I suppose you'll just have to invite the readers to explore, I guess, calmer spaces. But um, generally speaking, you know, a story does start with like this sort of exposition and then the rising action. There's still a lot of room for action in here because even though it's very exciting, it was all just a conversation. Just basically, yeah. Hushed conversation in a little room, who knows where. All to be forgotten about, right? Um, Precisely. <laughs> but I, I liked how you you introduced uh, Riley and Jake. We haven't had a lot of time to spend with them individually, but we kind of see their dynamic together. It works pretty well. And um, obviously, there were, it was so cutesy. There were such cutesy bits of their little relationship, and little <laughs> kiss on the nose and everything. So that was nice. Um, all the characters are really smart um, and quite able. Obviously, it's a fun story about, you know, these awesome guys who launch into amazing adventures with this secret organization. But I want to see some of their flaws in the future, too. So don't forget to include their vulnerable moments or their moments of weak or their moments of messing up or mistakes. Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely to come. That'll help build a more realistic character for them. Yeah. But I do like the way that they've been introduced. And we did get to see kind of their character because we can tell that Jake is like the more relaxed, a little less serious one. You know, he gets the room to laugh a couple times. He cracks a few jokes. He's comfortable with himself. And then Riley is like, he's pretty, he's straightforward. Um, he gets to the point. He asks questions. He notices things. So he's he's very analytical. Yeah. I like that. We are feeling that in their characters, and you you described it quite well. Um, I also like I also like your imagery. Um, I feel you your writing style is a little similar to maybe Riley. I think because Riley is like the the primary of the main characters. It feels um, anyway. Whenever his whenever his parts are there, you you do get very descriptive in the environment of of what physical things are there and how they function or this and that. It's like, it wouldn't be, you know, the characters entered a green room for you. It would be the characters entered a small 12 by six space populated with four such and such kind of microphones and two computers, one sort of on the old side and then the other a newer model with the higher program. And it's like, you get these very you get descriptive with the things and their functions in your environment. I think, and I like that. I describe I describe those scenes as I would in my head if I walked into a room. Well, yes, I'm saying very much. I'm hearing your I'm hearing your writer's voice. Ryler, Ryler. It sounds much like his real voice in real life, guys. Although he also jokes a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, Riley's character is a lot like me. Riley's character is definitely the most similar in here to me. Um, but Jake, it will become more apparent uh, in later chapters that Jake is, in fact, the main character of this story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he's the uh, dashing hero, after all. Uh, maybe. Not dashing rogue. Dash- Let's go with dashing rogue. <laughs> yeah, definitely that, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. But um, but I like how we've started. And Jacob, although he needs a new name. Uh, yeah, he might need a new name. Jake and Jacob will get pretty confusing, I think. I don't know. I He's such an old character. You know what? Keep him Jacob. And although I'll admit it doesn't make it. It doesn't make it easy for our readers, but we want to challenge them. That was my thinking about it, but the more I write it and the more I read Jake and Jacob together, I kind of want to... Jake and Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Yeah, I kind of want to change Jacob's name. It's funny that you should mention the name Colby, though, Mm -hmm. because um, Jacob, just like uh, Matt and... uh, Brandon from last week's story were inspired by actual people whom I've worked with. Jacob is inspired by someone I went to school with mm-hmm. and I had another I had another classmate named Colby who I wanted to make a character out of. Yeah. It's strange that you should mention him as a replacement for Jacob. The universe is telling us things. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'll probably change Jacob name, Jacob's name later. Yeah, that could be good. Um, I love the director. <laughs> the director? Yeah. I'm, I'm getting serious McGonagall feelings from her if McGonagall wasn't yes. a teacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but a dire- if McGonagall was a director of a secret organization, that would be her. And she was also an old, I'm assuming, kind of Hispanic woman because you said she was ma- mahogany skin and pitch black hair. I was actually going more toward like African-American or Jamaican, but yeah. But I'm never going to explain anyone's like race in here, yeah. just kind of how they look. Uh, and you can come up with that on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, even though everyone who listens to this podcast is now going to know that Director Ren is supposed to be... Well, not necessarily. Director Ren isn't supposed to be anything. After all, she doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but... Wow, she actually doesn't exist. Like, for real. She actually doesn't exist. <laughs> I, li- I like the... I think that's a beautiful thing about stories is they invite us into these worlds which are not real. And yet, when we accept their invitation, they become real for us. Yeah. And they stay with us. And then you'll find them every once in a while, little hints uh, populating the garden of your life. You know, Colby from your classroom might show up in your story. Might show up in my story, yeah. Yeah. If by a different name. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I come up with names. I come up with names for these characters kind of like I don't have one uh, one method of doing it. Like Director Ren and uh, Margot Babineau. Mm -hmm. I literally came up with those characters as I was writing the story. Like I sat down to write one day with no intention of putting either of those characters in here. And I was like, you know what? This would be really great with these characters in it. Question. (laughs) How are you with ornithology? Do you know much about birds? Caroline Wren. Yeah. She's named after the Carolina Wren. Yeah. (laughs) I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Now, what I'm wondering, uh, I was like, oh, that's that's lovely. (laughs) Is a Margot a type of bird? I don't know. Uh, Maybe not spelled the way it is, but... Maybe. I was like, are we are we getting a little bird theme going on? 
I kind of wanted that. I mean, we do at least have Director Ren and then the crest of... And then the crest of the organization, which is a crow, or which is a, uh, a raven. Yeah. I, yeah, that's why I named her Caroline Wren, because... Symbols, subtle symbols like that within stories are some of my favorite things. Yeah. That's yeah, really, that's, that's a great that. addition. That's inspired. Yeah, well, yeah, I took that from, um, I've recently, I recently reread, re-listened to. Mm-hmm. I hate it when people say they read things and they listen to the audiobook. Um, listening to the audiobook is not, not invalid as a means of, like, experiencing a piece of writing, but don't say that you read it. Um, but anyway... Okay. But anyway, uh, Caleb just informed me that we have five minutes. (laughs) But yeah, I drew inspiration from uh, Aragon and from Harry Potter uh, because they use that like that repeating imagery over and over and over and over again. So it's very effective. And I wanted Caroline Wren to kind of like you said, kind of be like McGonagall because she's like my favorite character in that McGonagall. Yeah, McGonagall is my favorite character in all of Harry Potter. Mm. She's great. It's like you look back and it's like she's that stern authority figure that you wanted in your life. Yeah. yeah like I wish. <laughs> and maybe you and maybe you had like a brush with someone who was half as good as McGonagall, or maybe you did have a brush with someone who was wonderful as McGonagall. But yeah, I might like McGonagall so much because I had an elementary school teacher who looked like the actress that played her really yeah oh that's cool complete with like the long the long like gray hair yeah it was fucking great i'm not gonna put this um this chapter on the website i will eventually uh as i keep writing i think this podcast is gonna serve uh as like a tactile means of motivation for me to get me to write this story um because i've been working on it for a really really long time and i just every time i write something i just completely get rid of it and discard it as terrible um so I think next week we're going to talk about something other than writing, uh, and I won't read anything. But as I write more chapters of this book, I'll read them on the podcast. And eventually, the entire book will exist. Yeah, I know. Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah, there's an iguana in the room that we're recording in, and he likes to climb on the screen door, so it makes a crazy amount of noise. Um, but yeah, eventually, the entire book will be will exist in audio form read by me. I eventually, once the whole book is written, I want to get it read as an audiobook. Um, Who would you choose if you could choose anybody? Know. If there wasn't a budget. If there wasn't a budget? There wasn't a budget. Gerard Doyle. Oof. Who read uh, Aragon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Definitely Gerard Doyle. All right, everyone, thank you very much. You've been listening to Sidewalk Confessionals. Happy listening and have a nice day.